0: The mad max minute where everyone is fighting over the gate in mad max to the road warrior one minute at a time i'm rick And I'm Julia. And today we're talking about Minute 52, which begins with Papagallo roasting a pink hot rod with a flamethrower, and it ends with Papagallo continuing to use that flamethrower to chase away raiders. From that description, you would swear that this entire minute is just Papagallo sitting at that (laughs) flamethrower, treating it like a shooting gallery, but there is plenty that happens in between those two instances of the throwing of flames.
1: Yeah, we get some pretty sick moves from Wes.
0: Yep. Where we pick up is the DeSoto driver trying to get out of range of the flamethrower, which as we've discussed in the past, the flamethrowers have a frightening range compared to how they're depicted normally in fiction. And in this instance, the DeSoto cannot get away fast enough. It starts backing up. Papagallo is still shooting him. We get to see the flames licking the windshield as it backs away and then... And it rolls a little bit further and then explodes in this huge fireball.
1: It's really quite impressive.
0: Yep. Before it explodes, though, I noticed something because Mm -hmm. I always seem to be looking elsewhere in the frame than where George Miller wants me to look because... Oh, you rebel. Attached to the back axle of that DeSoto is a guideline. So they are towing this car backwards, but there is a second fainter wire coming off of that tow line going up into the car, and I think that's the detonator line, the thing that they use to trigger the pyrotechnics that are in the back of that car. Okay. And I was watching this explosion in slow motion. So obviously, there's a lot of flame on the front of the car. That's where the flamethrower is hitting. And the explosion, it starts in two places. It starts in the front, where flames fill the front, but then there's also a second explosion that starts right about the same time as the explosion in the back seat from the trunk and so those are starting to expand at the same time and then once they fill up the inside of the car and the trunk starts to pop open all of that flame and energy bursts out the rear fenders and so it comes down underneath the car and it's a gasoline explosion and so the whole thing just erupts and gets engulfed by this huge fireball it was really cool just to see it just to click through it frame by frame It's nowhere near as detailed as something like from Mythbusters or slow-mo guys, but it was nice to see the progression of the pyrotechnics that they used.
1: Even not going frame by frame like I do, I have to get really careful with the pause button. That's how I see details. I could still tell that the explosion was coming from, at least in part, from the back half of the car. It was pretty obvious.
0: I would like to think, in-universe, the reason that the flamethrower is able to make this car explode is, in my mind, because of modified gas tanks. That one of the reasons this DeSoto is so lifted and the suspension is so high is that they've got these giant gas tanks probably installed in the back seat. Maybe the fuel lines that are running from this improvised tank system into the engine. Maybe they're not as durable as you might want in a flamethrower situation. And so if you've got big old tank gas sitting in your back seat and the flame is going on the front of the car and licking in the windows. And well, if you've got a bit of a leak, that fire is going to just ignite all of that fuel in a gasoline explosion.
1: That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, in universe, the mechanics among them, I'm sure are really good because they are maintaining and modifying these vehicles to great effect. You're only as good as the materials you have to work with.
0: Exactly.
1: And brand new hosing and whatnot and piping and all that kind of stuff is not readily available.
0: And even if you've only got fumes coming from a very tiny leak, fire will catch on to that. I mean, these mechanics, they're going for function. They're not going for fireproofing.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which by Fury Road, I hope, hope, hope they're going for fireproofing.
0: Yeah. Yeah because there's a lot of fire in that movie. Yeah. Spectacular.
1: Yes. I wonder... Like
0: this explosion, but like... All the time. All the time and bigger.
1: I think I've mentioned before that I kind of see Road Warrior as a stepping stone or a predecessor to Fury Road, particularly with like the crazy cars and then the introduction of this flamethrower and what it does and how spectacular it looks Mm -hmm. is kind of the predecessor to all of the wonderfulness that we see. Fury Road.
0: Yeah. Like, they
1: got the good idea. Like, oh, did you see that guy that killed our guy? That was pretty awesome. Let's do that.
0: (laughs) With things exploding outside the compound, things are also happening on the other side of that gate. The Mac comes to a stop underneath one of the catwalks that probably leads to the evaporating tower. And it's very fortunate for Wes.
1: Yeah, a little too lucky there.
0: Yeah, he's able to scramble up on top of the cab and then he looks at the structure above him and does this little gymnast routine where he jumps up, grabs one bar, and then swings his legs up to get onto the other bar and just through some sort of Olympic maneuver. (laughs) (laughs) He's able to eventually get up onto that catwalk.
1: He gets up there like he does this sort of thing all the time. Uh I'm like, where would you have had an opportunity to practice that? Their existence seems very low to the ground. One story nowhere to go but across kind of thing yeah so what the heck where did this come from
0: you know i will admit a lot of what wes does in this minute kind of makes me wonder that maybe in his prior life he was either a gymnast or a gym coach I mean, he's pretty wild. I can imagine a gym coach without limits of society would go Wes kind of crazy.
1: Is there any kind of backstory on the internet for Wes?
0: Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure there is. We might have even discussed it in a prior minute, but that was a long time ago.
1: So George Miller instructed Vernon Wells to fill in Wes's backstory. Vernon imagined Wes as a former Vietnam vet.
0: Yeah, that's what my notes from earlier minutes say as well, minute seven specifically, that Vernon Wells' backstory for Wes was that Vietnam veteran story. But I definitely don't think that that excludes the idea of him being a gymnast coach.
1: Right. It does introduce the idea of Wes going through basic training and continued PT and Stuff like that.
0: So I think we can meld those two ideas together pretty easily. Anyway, Wes gets up on the catwalk. We get a quick shot of Archie Whitley hiding in a tent or something like that.
1: Yeah, I thought the shot was kind of random.
0: I think it's important to remind us that there are non-combatants in this compound.
1: Yeah, good point.
0: That would not do well in an altercation with these raiders, especially considering that the whole thing is kind of chaotic. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of running around, a lot of shouting. In fact, one really good instance of there being non-combatants in this fight is the fact that Big Rebecca is behind the wheel of the bus gate. And one of these raiders, probably from the silver vehicle, maybe from the buggy.
1: I think it's from the buggy.
0: Runs up to her window, tears off the tarp. And just starts reaching in there, trying to, I guess, pull her out of the bus. I or guess something so. Like that. I mean,
1: doesn't he have a weapon on him? Like, doesn't he have some sort of knife? Just jab it in there until she stops fighting.
0: Yeah, it's a little strange that the bloodthirsty raider doesn't go for the shanking maneuver. Yeah, with her, but.
1: Because she fends him off pretty well
0: yeah. until
1: Virginia Hay comes to her defense. Yeah.
0: So she's fighting at the window. We get a shot outside the compound of the Lord humongous and his raiders charging the gate. And he's yelling, my dogs run the gate. And we cut back to the window with Big Rebecca getting harassed by this raider. And then Virginia drops down from out of nowhere, obviously off the top of the bus gate. Right. Behind the raider grabs his head and just slices his throat like an absolute badass.
1: Yeah, I love how merciless it was.
0: Oh, yeah. Stone cold. Amazing. Wes is sitting up there on the catwalk, and he sees Virginia totally murk this dude. And so he's shouting from the top of the catwalk, the gate, the gate, and trying to get these other raiders to focus on what's important because he knows that he's got a very finite amount of raiders to work with. Yeah. We're trying to figure out... He was on the Mac. Yes. The Lone Wolf and the Buggy got inside the the compound. Now, we get one raider that dies from Virginia. Mm -hmm. We're about to see another raider get an arrow in his back from david and then i think tomorrow there are two more raiders
1: oh okay, okay there's
0: one that gets taken out by the mechanic and one that max runs into and tackles to the ground okay so uh, i think there's a total of five Four now that one of them is dead okay so
1: it's pretty clear that the raider that david shoots in the back came from the, the lone wolf
0: custom silver vehicle yeah, yeah
1: like you we see him get out of the car yeah and the other one the one that attacked Big Rebecca, he was of the faction with, like, the more raggedy clothes, right?
0: No, he no? had I, some pretty substantial leather coverings. He, I don't, And
1: I think, he, I think he came out of the buggy. I'm I trying think, to think of it. I'm trying um, to keep it I, straight. Yeah, I think the buggy people are more of the leather clad.
0: No, I think the dude in black and the dude with the red mask. So the dude that is killed by virginia and the dude that's killed by david i'm pretty sure they both jumped off of the silver lone wolf
1: oh okay. i'm pretty
0: sure the guy that gets taken out by the mechanic and the dude that's tackled by max both came out of the buggy because they are both more ragged
1: looking exactly
0: so okay pale colors raggedy material are the dune buggy guys the more solid piece leather ensembles i think are more the custom vehicles okay anyway we keep talking about this other dude that dies, Wes (laughs) shouts for all of these guys to attack the gate. And the second dude jumps off the lone wolf and is shot right in the back by an arrow. And it's a surprise to everybody, including one of the compound dwellers who was about to smack him in the head with a shovel.
1: I love it because at first I thought that the raider got smacked in the head with a shovel. I had to watch that scene, oh, five or six times to say, oh no, he got shot with an arrow. Where the heck did the arrow come from? And watch it over and over and over again until I, Pinpointed what actually happened. That David, the quiet man, way up on the bridge, shoots him. Yeah. To everybody's surprise, yeah.
0: You're not in solo company when it comes to being surprised by that arrow. Because Wes is also... Very surprised by the fact that this dude was just shot with an arrow. And so he turns and we just see David at the end of the catwalk. He's like standing on a platform. He's standing there with this empty crossbow, almost like like a kid who's found with his hand in the candy jar.
1: Yes. I kind of think both of them, both David and Wes, they turn and see each other. I think they were both kind of surprised that the other person was there.
0: Yeah. and So
1: things are kind of still for a moment. And David tries to reload his crossbow. Mm hmm. And Wes has crazy eyes. Oh,
0: this next shot of Wes. I'm pretty sure it's like a promo shot that Vernon Wells uses on his website. Oh, is, I
1: hope so because it's so good.
0: It is straight on and he's got his eyes wide and he's got his feathers out and he rushes David screaming and he gets a couple of really good bound ding steps on that catwalk and you get these nice thundering... <laughs> crunch crunch in the soundtrack and he gets to the end of the catwalk and he does this amazing somersault over david's head another i think supporting characteristic of wes the former gymnastics coach (laughs) what's funny about this shot of wes somersaulting over david's head Is that it's so clearly not Vernon Wells. Yeah, the way it's cut,
1: you can tell that that is a singular scene, a singular shot that was done on its own. It's not part of the action. Yeah. Yeah.
0: The stuntman somersaults and twists over David and in the very last nine frames of this shot specifically you can see another stunt man holding his hands up to catch the guy who's jumping
1: oh and
0: it's just a pair of gloved hands that just kind of enter in from the left side of the frame behind david just to to make sure he lands
1: on the platform
0: and then the next shot we get is of wes landing and of course there's no one behind him and so the whole movement is complete and it is spectacular
1: It is spectacular, and I will give him, Wes, that it is spectacular. Stupid, though. Okay. From Wes's point of view, I mean, that's a lot of energy to expend.
0: Okay. I know you always bag on people for expending too much energy to do things, (laughs) and sometimes you've just got a showboat. If... Wes had been standing on the back of a platform truck leading up to jumping onto the Mac. You know he probably would have done some sort of crazy jump like this onto the Mac, but since he was jumping from the back of a motorcycle onto the back of a moving truck, he did something a bit more simple. I feel like if Wes had been able to do something like this to get onto the Mac, he would have, because it's an opportunity for him to just be amazing and show off. And Wes really strikes me as the kind of guy who shows off strictly for the sake of showing off
1: well any man that wears feathers on a daily basis is a man who's looking to be noticed so yeah Wes is the type to showboat to do things that are amazing yeah oh so, okay I will give you that I stand my ground that it's a foolish waste of energy to do that it's also it wasn't needed because the quiet man is very timid yeah and really always had to do was rush him just like he started out doing and he could have rushed right up to david grabbed his arms and headbutted him and it would have worked but he didn't know that
0: no he much better to somersault over him Land, grab him by the shoulders as he's spinning him around, and then just Um, headbutt him. Yeah. Did you notice as you were watching this that there is a single frame of just white to basically accentuate the headbutt? I did not. Like when you go back and watch that,
1: back and watch it minute
0: again, look for some sort of flash when his head is supposed to connect with David's head. Yeah. Because when you get hit, your vision flashes, or at least that's what happens when I get hit with things in my head and so to just make the hit more weighty they threw that in there and it's great because david gets headbutted, and then he goes limp and Wes is standing there holding him and then he just tosses him off the platform that they're standing on just away <laughs>
1: yeah I... and then the shot pretty much ends there we we get one more moment of david flying through the air down towards the ground but we don't see where he lands and we don't see him the rest of this minute Yeah. I haven't watched ahead too much, so I don't know if we see him in the next few minutes or maybe at the end of this battle when things quiet down, if he's back around. I don't know. As far as I know, this could be the last of him and he's dead and gone.
0: (laughs) No, Wes is so strong, he took David and just threw him later into the plot.
1: Yes. (laughs) One thing before we move on from this scene, during Wes's flip, I wish that we could have seen David's reaction. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) The look on his face, I I wish we could have seen that. I think it would have been amazing. Just the horror and confusion, like, wait a second, what's going on?
0: Yeah, because his back is turned during the somersault, and Wes lands, and David's face is obscured even when he spins him around. Yeah, we don't get a good reaction shot from David.
1: Yeah, I wish we could have. Oh. Because he also has great eyes. Yeah. So the whole thing is just fantastic. It's It's some, some great showboating from Wiz. It's very enjoyable to watch.
0: Meanwhile, outside the compound, and this is why we don't see what happens after David is thrown, we join up once again with Lord Humongous and his raiders, and they are just running headlong without vehicles just at the gate. And I am imagining that they want to get to the bus gate and try and maybe squeeze between the bus and the wall or climb up over it or dive under it. Some sort of maneuver that they want to have happen. Unfortunately for them, Papagallo is still up on the wall with that flamethrower and he just starts painting that whole area. And I love the shot that we see of just guys stopping in their tracks turning and then running back (laughs) running forward running back it's like a game of dodgeball where everyone's trying to run around the court but I do appreciate that before the end of this minute we see that there are raiders who are trying to get closer and they're actually using cover they're thinking strategically and moving intelligently they're not just running headlong at the gate
1: it did occur to me like on the outside with Lord Humongous and the strategy that he is using Is it different than strategies he has used in the past, or is he trying the same thing that didn't work before? Because maybe it'll work now, because now he has guys on the inside.
0: Exactly. Who
1: are presumably working to open that gate.
0: I was thinking about the tactics that he was using before. The idea of driving around the compound and trying to find weaknesses to get in. All of those cars that are piled up in the moat are probably left over from those probing Mm, attacks. Yeah. Yeah. And this is really the first time that they've been able to have multiple people inside the compound to divide the attention of the compound dwellers because all of those days that they were attacking and retreating and pressing and withdrawing all of the focus of the compound dwellers was focused outward and so there was no way to get close because you're always in someone's eye with as far as the humongous knows five dudes on the inside that attention is now divided and so he can be a bit more bold with his presses and his attacks because they might not be as noticeable.
1: Yeah, I think Virginia is a perfect example. We don't really know where she was stationed before she jumped down to save Rebecca. Presumably she was on the perimeter, manning her big gun. Mm-hmm. But now she has abandoned that post and has moved her attention inward.
0: Exactly. She was probably on that giant crossbow like she was before, but mm-hmm. now with her down in the main area of the compound, there's no longer someone manning that giant crossbow, which is a very legitimate threat to someone like Lord Humongous, who is just out there wearing no body armor or anything like that.
1: I mean, if she had stayed on her crossbow, she could have killed Humongous right then and there. Oh, yeah.
0: It's ar- one
1: well-placed bolt to his chest or neck, and he'd be done for.
0: It's easy to argue that if the raiders stayed that close and the compound dwellers had the opportunity to get up on that wall with all of their bows and arrows and that one dude with the flaming ball on a chain, that the raiders would have suffered quite a bit of casualty. Right. That they were just close enough and exposed enough that they would have been taken out. But the compound dwellers are just so untrained and so out of their element. They're just running around like chickens with their heads cut off. (laughs) They're not quite sure what to make of all this.
1: And so the raiders' plan, which wasn't really a plan, it happened on accident to get people inside. Yeah. Is working out perfectly. It's doing exactly what it's supposed to do, creating chaos and dividing the attention.
0: Yeah, I think the plan for them to get inside and then get the gate open, was definitely improvised. The idea that Wes was able to get inside and then direct everybody to the gate. One of the things that I think really saved the compound is the fact that the way to get into the bus is technically facing outwards. When the bus gate rolls shut, you can see that the door to get in, the regular front door of the bus, when the gate is closed, is pressed up against the wall. And so that's why the raider that goes after Big Rebecca tries to go through the window. Because that's all that's in front of him. He doesn't think to try and pass around the front of the bus... And get in from the other side because he's just acting on instinct.
1: Right. And doing that is inconvenient. It takes time. Taking time is making yourself more vulnerable.
0: So he's going to try to, I guess, get into the bus through the window once he takes care of Big Rebecca. It's it's not a good plan, it's on not a his good part, plan. but it's yes. a good plan generally speaking.
1: It is a good plan, generally speaking. It was poorly executed. And I think it was poorly executed because it was not a plan from ahead of time. Exactly. It's not like they figured out a way. To sneak five guys into the compound, the opportunity just arose.
0: Yeah. I mean, these guys are not great improvisers. Right. I, would say... I mean,
1: the two cars that got in were just the fastest ones.
0: Yeah. And so they
1: didn't have a plan saying, "Okay, once we get inside, your job is to do this and your job is to do this and Wes is going to climb up high so we can see what's going on and help direct people." None of that was a plan. Yeah.
0: They didn't know where the doors were for the bus cuz I mean, all those buses have back doors you can run around to one side. They have front doors you can run around to the other side. These guys came in blind with no intel. Yeah. And it really, for lack of a better term, blew up in their faces. (laughs) (laughs) So Wes is going to find himself a member of a rapidly dwindling club tomorrow. And so we're going to see what he does to reposition himself. We're going to see who he interacts with as he's moving around the compound and we'll pick up where we left off. The Mad Max Minute podcast is a fan project by Rick and Julia Ingham.
1: The Mad Max franchise was created by George Miller and Byron Kennedy and presented by Warner Brothers Pictures in association with Village Roadshow Pictures.
0: Mad Max Minute is produced and edited by Rick Ingham. Our opening music is by Daniel Batista of DanielBautista.com.
1: You can follow Mad Max Minute on Twitter at Mad Max Minute, on Facebook at Mad Max Minute Beyond Microphone, and at MadMaxMinute.com.
0: And finally, if you would like to contribute to the podcast, visit MadMaxMinute.com, click on the support link at the top of the page, and check out our Patreon to help us keep the tanks full.
1: Thank you for joining us for a Minute. 52 of the Road Warrior. See you tomorrow.